Father, it's so good to be in your house with our family, your family, Lord, our forever family. What a joy it is, Lord, to be part of your kingdom, your eternal plan. Lord, tonight as we gather in Jesus' name, we ask you to be our invited guest, that you would receive our prayers, our praise, and that we could honor you, Lord, from our hearts, give you the glory that's due to your name. Thank you for being with each of us today. Thank you for hearing our prayers and blessing our day. Lord, tonight is yours. We just ask that you would guide us in our study and our prayer time as well. Fill us with joy and believing, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Open our eyes to behold your person. Turn with me in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. We opened it last week. Paul, writing from Rome, being in prison, one of the four prison epistles here. And as we know that Ephesians... Is one of the others, along with Galatians and Philippians. And, of course, Ephesians is the Church of Christ. Wonderful position that we have being part of Christ's bride. But Colossians, it's focusing on the head of the church. And as we went through this last week, Paul's introduction to them, a group of people that he not met, he did not plant this church. It was a result of the, of the church plant in Ephesus. And as we read about uh, Epaphras there in verse 7, uh, apparently he started a fellowship in Colossae, and it grew into a, a prospering church. And so Paul, in hearing about them and Epaphras coming to Paul there in Rome, able to fill him in on uh, the great work that God was doing there and the love that the people had for Christ. And, and these are great things. You know, that's, I want to encourage you all. Uh, we have the Calvary Chapel magazine that we get once a quarter. And, it, you know, it, it just shows what God is doing around the world, not just through Calvary's, but primarily through Calvary Chapels because they, uh, churches around the world, uh, our fellowships interact with a lot of different people. And so you just get the testimonies. One of the great things about the uh, uh, Calvary Chapel magazine is the missionaries that are in the back part of it and the prayer re uh, requests that they have. If you really want to zero in on making a difference because our prayers do matter and God does hear them, uh, that would be good for you to pick one up on the way out. Make sure you have one of those. Leaf through it and take a look at it. So I want to ask you a question. <clears throat> you know, we st we're going to keep this model, but we're really emphasizing it this year. I do what I can with what I have where God has placed me. So I'm going to ask you, 
Are you doing what you can <laughs> with what you have where God has placed you? And that's something you have to answer before the Lord, as I do. And if you aren't really happy with the answer per se, or it can be better, which is my case for sure, you are going to get the answer tonight on how to improve that position. Because I believe that prayer is the most important thing a believer can do. It's conversing with God. It is listening to God. It is hearing, learning to hear God's voice. It is learning to understand his nature and his character. God will not reveal himself to anyone unless he wants to. And when he begins to show himself to you, count yourself highly privileged. To know the nature and character of God is our quest. And, you know, I've, you've heard it said probably, and I believe this with all my heart, a church without an effective prayer program is a religious treadmill. You're just going through the motions. You might have all kinds of programs, but what kind of fruit is it going to produce? Nothing good happens apart from prayer. And so what we have beginning in verse 9 here is Paul's prayer for believers. You, so well, I don't know how to pray for people. Well, right here it is. <laughs> I, I pray this for myself a lot, and I pray it for other people. We don't have to think up some of these things because there's other saints that have gone on before us that have figured it out for us. Thank you, Paul, <laughs> for writing it down, <laughs> helping us to learn. And uh, this is just a great way to pray for fellow believers. Verse 9, for this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. And so these verses here give us that approach to how we should pray for other believers. And so let's just walk through it. Phrase by phrase, to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Well, let's just look at the word filled. That means to the point where you can't hold any more. Has the Spirit of God ever come upon you where you just are so filled with joy and overcome with His presence that you just like, it's almost like you want to say, stop, Lord, but don't ever say that. If that happens to you, don't say, stop, Lord. <laughs> just keep it coming. You know, I mean, there's certain things that some pastors say at times that they say them and that you never forget them. I remember uh, one of the first sermons I heard, uh, and I don't even know the fellow's name. What, uh, he's a good brother, but he preached on uh, on the fullness of the blessing of Christ, the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. And it's, I mean, I heard this when I was two, two or three months in the Lord. It's still here. One of those is, is my pastor who's now in heaven, Pastor Chuck, 
used to he could sing and I can't so I'm and he knew that he knew the hymn but it was an old an old old one I want to be under the spout where the glory comes out (laughs) that's kind of a quirky little thing but that's probably why it stuck with me and this is what I'm talking about to be filled with the spirit of God you are just so you don't care about anything else you want to know God and you're just you're basking in his presence Really, that's what worship is about, you know, and we have our worship service. We just, you know, I, uh, most of you have kind of figured it out. So we have a little signal when it's time for me to come up. And sometimes, well, we're going to do four songs today. We're going to do five or, you know, whatever. We, you know, I, I, forget, I like half, like, okay, which one, which one, which one, which one, which one, you know, uh, four or five. We went four or five. One, two, three, four. Oh, wait. Well, I don't know. I just want to worship, you know. <laughs> Some of my inner thoughts are coming out, right? <laughs> And so we have this little look, you know, that, oh, okay, because I do lose track, and I think that's what you're supposed to do. You sort of like enter into the eternal zone of just meditating and thinking upon the goodness of God. This is what church is about. This is what the assembly of the saints provide. Now, you can go to the backwoods with your little, you know, phone and turn on your music and worship the Lord all by yourself in nature. Go for it. I think that's great. But that is no substitute for the assembling of yourself together with God's people. There is a incredible dynamic that takes place in the presence of God in the assembly of the saints that takes place in no other format. And that's why the Hebrew reader, writer of the Hebrews mentioned that. Let us not forsake the assembly of ourselves together as a manner of some is. Oh, I don't really need to go to church tonight because blah, blah, blah. Or I don't need to go to church this week because, you know, after all, I've been reading my Bible all week for the first time in years, you know. No, you need, you know, you need the fellowship of the saints. You need that incredible dynamic that takes place. And I believe that this is where the filling of the Spirit can take place. And, I, you know, this is what... Uh, Ephesians 2.18 is talking about the Paul in writing to them, be, be being filled. Well, I was filled with the Holy Spirit when I was young. Well, good for you. How about, how about now that you're old? Are you still filled with the Holy Spirit? You should be because we are earthen vessels. We, we, know, the, we know this, right? And we're clay pots. So that means we crack. Many of us, the older we get, the more fractured we get. And the easier it runs out. <laughs> Patch that hole, Lord. <laughs> but we need to be constantly being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not just, it is a maybe, you know, the initial outpouring and, and filling like Pentecost. Maybe there is that initial. Yes, I get that. But it, it, there has got to be that constant filling because we are in this fallen body dragging around this dead man. And so it's in constant need of crucifixion, it, who, do, who through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, but that our new man will have what it needs, the power that comes by abiding in the vine, abiding in the Lord. So being filled is so important. With the knowledge of God's will, the knowledge of his will. So this is what happens at conversion, isn't it? It is no longer my will, because I don't know anything, really. 
when you really think about it, how much do we know? Of all the things that can be known, of all the knowledge, this is what's funny about when you talk, people claim to be an atheist. I don't believe that God exists. Well, the good question to ask them, do you know how much of all the knowledge that's in the universe, how much of that knowledge do you think you own that's yours, that you know? And, of course, if they're honest, which many times people who claim to be atheists are intellectually dishonest, but if they're honest enough to answer that question, they say, well, maybe 5%, which is, that's really quite a bit, actually. That's, I'm, I'm not even on the scale, I think, actually. But that's because the more you learn, you realize the more that you don't know, right? So, if okay, we'll, we'll grant that you, you, you've got 5% that's yours. Do you think maybe else that other 95% that you don't know that in that arena there might be the knowledge of the Creator God? And it usually gives them a perspective they haven't been thinking about, which is what they need, by the way. So the idea of knowledge here is, is it's cognitive, cognitive re recognition. You really know that you know this. When God writes his will on your heart, that is the greatest experience you can have. I, I don't think there's a greater experience that you, you can have. You, I know that this is what God has for me. This is what God wants me to do. This is why I was created. When you understand you know, the general part, that's great. But when, then when it comes to the specifics of life, this is why the filling of the Spirit is necessary, that knowledge of God is important. We just continue to learn and grow in it. But it, he's, he defines it here. Paul's an incredible writer in all wisdom. So wisdom is the proper use of knowledge. We all know a lot. But how, do you use, how are you using what you know? This is what he's talking about. You, can, you know, because you can know a lot and not apply it right, and that's a train wreck. But in all wisdom, I love the way he puts this together, in all spiritual understanding. I like what Spurgeon had to say about these, this particular verse, verse 9. If, this is a quote here. Uh, if you read this epistle through, you'll observe that Paul frequently alludes to knowledge and wisdom to the point in which he judged the church to be deficient he turned his prayerful attention. He would not have them ignorant. He knew that spiritual ignorance is the constant source of error, instability, and sorrow. Therefore, he desired that they might be soundly taught in the things of God. And this is, uh, I agree, you know, with Spurgeon here. I, 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 and that's why we teach the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, it's a slow process. It's line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little, but this is how we learn. Repetition, just over and over, and after a while, like, oh, wow, you know, finally I get it. You know, it begins, this, the saturation level increases, and it settles in, and I, I understand. God doesn't put a premium on ignorance. He doesn't want us to 
you know, you, you know, you you think ignorance is a good thing when you you know you get pulled over by the policeman. Oh, I didn't realize, you know, that that was a, you know, a forty-five, and I'm doing sixty. Well, I probably knew it was a forty-five, but it sounded good. You know, he's and he's not buying it, right? <laughs> you know, it's not going to work either when you stand before the Lord. Well, I didn't know. What do you mean you didn't know? I showed you. I ta- I told you. Well, see, we have selective learning deficiencies on occasion. (laughs) Anyway, God help us not to be ignorant. So be filled with the knowledge of his will. So, uh, you know, what's the objective here? Well, verse 10, that you might walk worthy of the Lord. He's talking about walk. We're talking lifestyle. How you determine your value system will determine your lifestyle. Whatever you think is most important, that is what you're going to do. So it doesn't really matter what I say. It's what I do. Thankful we have Jesus (laughs) as our example. He was mighty in word, but what else? Mighty indeed. And so we need that as well. And so he's talking, you know, you, you know, it's one thing to have it here. And then by being filled with wisdom, it's going to drop 12 inches into here. Where it's in, it's in my inner man, the, the deepest recesses of This is what I want, God. I want to be in your will. I want to do what I can with what I have where you have placed me. And I, it is from my heart. Now help me to walk in this. Why? Because I want to please him. Jesus, and this isn't quite a statement that was said about Jesus, wasn't it? I do always those things that please the Father. I don't think there's anybody else that can say that. Some of you know who Jordan Peterson is. I'm not sure where, where he's at, but he has, a, he has a Christian foundation. I do know that much about him. <laughs> and he, I've heard him in debates, and he believes that there was only one Christian that, that ever existed. And I agree with him in this. And that Christian was Jesus Christ. <laughs> All of the rest of us fall short. None of us can say, I do always those things that please the Father. I have to add in there, I try to do the things that please God, but I do a lot of things that please me, if I'm going to be honest. And so the idea is to take the knowledge of his will and to do it, to walk in it, and God help us to do that. Because, as I said, it's not what I say I believe, it's my actions. What does he, what does he say there? In verse 10, being fruitful in every good work. That's a demonstration of my faith, my works. Works don't save a person. Works are the result of being saved. Because Jesus has affected my life, I want him to use me in a way that affects other people's lives. Fruitfulness. We walk worthy to please God and to be fruitful And again, 
And he adds this again. He just can't stay away from this. Increasing in the knowledge of God. It's ne- Do you realize that's what our eternity is going to be for you and me? Think about, wh- just think in simple terms here. We are human beings. We're human. That, that's the mankind. That's the species, so to speak. But the being part. When God <sighs> breathed on Adam. Ruach, the, he became a living being. That means from that point forward, Adam, as well as you and me and all other humanity, are eternal beings. We will forever be being. Hopefully, with God. We will exist after this life forever in one plane or another and that choice is totally up to us but this is important in in our eternity for those of us who love God those of us who have been redeemed and we're we've come to Christ and his blood has taken away our sins and we've been as we'll learn have been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kin- kingdom of light we will forever be learning about God I can't get my mind around that whole thing. I'm blown away with what little I do know about God. I can't imagine learning without, first of all, I can't imagine uh, being unencumbered by the flesh and by my, the inability of my gray matter to, to process the unprocessable, so to speak. And God is incomprehensible, but somehow in our eternal makeup, our sensory perceptions are off the charts, and our ability to grasp more of who God is will seriously escalate in that, on, in that eternal plane. And still, it will take all eternity for us to learn about God. But on this side of heaven, we're to increase. And so I think this is the highest knowledge that anybody can reach, is the knowledge of God. You know, we're, in the knowledge of God, we actually come to know ourselves. Because until we see God and, and, and comprehend at least a little bit of who He is, there's no way we're really going to know ourselves. Because he, he reflects, we're a reflection of one another in that sense, the, in, being in the image of God. God causes us to see truth. He causes us to see us as He sees, him, sees us. This is part of the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, not only to walk worthy of the Lord, but to be strengthened with all might according to His grace. Strength. Oh, how weak we are. God has to sometimes bring us to the point of weakness bring us to the point where we realize the limitations of our nature, of our abilities. And when we cease, then in that grace, he gives us more strength. This is why Paul could say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And and, and then, of course, we're in the context of some suffering here. Paul rejoiced in his sufferings, which 
because of his weakness he was suffering. You know, the frailty of the flesh, the inability of the fallen nature and the, the dead carcass that we have to drag around. But when he came to his end, he realized that then grace superseded all that and God's strength infused his life. That's why he could rejoice in suffering because that's when God's strength came about. I'm glad Paul was able to communicate that because I don't, I don't think the church would have figured it out other without Paul explaining it like he, had, like he did. And we're still trying to learn that one. But this is, uh, this is a tough one here. The word might here is dunamis. It's power. It's, you know, we need dynamite, that kind of explosive power in our spirits. The outer man perishes, but the inner man is strengthened day by day. He's not talking about the outer man. He's talking about that inner man. You're a roaring lion with boldness because of the power of God in your life. You can do all things through Christ. That's quite a statement. That's an incredible statement. There's no like, oh, well, I can't. Yeah, of course you can't. But God can. So you just give him a shot at it, would you? You know. This is the part of the verse I don't pref really like. I got to be honest with you. I like the thought of glorious power, you know, because <laughs> I'm a power tool guy, you know. <laughs> I like I like torque. That's pretty cool stuff. <laughs> like dropping it into low gear in the, in the truck, right? <laughs> it's a man thing. Don't worry about it. So I like the glorious power. I like that front end of the verse. What's the power for? It's for patience. You need power. You need God's power. I need God's power in order to be patient. Patient with people. Patience with people who have really no business driving down the highway in an automobile. And there's other areas, people that don't catch on as quick as you do. Some of you are very quick-minded. You know, you're very intuitive. You just instantly, it's like you were downloaded with it. You got it. And the other guy doesn't even know he's got a floppy drive in his hand, you know. I mean, where do you put that at, you know. And you've already, you're already, you know, well beyond that. It takes patience to work with people that don't get it. And, um. How does patience come about? Through trials, through suffering. And this is how God works that patient love in us. God is so patient with us. Think about how patient God is with you. How patient he's been with. I know how patient he's been with me. I'd have given up a long time ago. God doesn't. He's very, very patient. And along with that, it's not here, but it, along with that, because I've experienced it, there's nothing stronger and the gentleness of God. This is what David said in the Psalms. Thy gentleness has made me great. God is so patient and so gentle with us as children. There's a reason he called them the children of Israel, by the way. You know, they were adults, but he called them the children of Israel. And we may think we are adults, but we are the children of God. <laughs> and we act like it. We prove it regularly. Now all I have to do is go visit my grandchildren to remember what it was like to be little. <laughs> wow. And boy, do you need patience with those guys, right? You know they don't comprehend it. 
you know, they, they nod. <laughs> but, you know, like the light's on, but nobody's really home, right? <laughs> I'm going to wake you up here, you know. So that's what the strength is for. It is for patience. It is for long-suffering. That means in that patient mindset and, and activity over a long period of time. And Jesus and the, our Father in Heaven is, operates in this arena perfectly with every soul on the planet. Patient and long-suffering. And only God knows the day when a person has sinned away the day of grace and he no, they, they will no longer repent and turn to Him. That's God's knowledge and nobody else's. But for the believer, he adds with joy. <laughs> so when you're driving behind that slow poke, or the guy when it's pitch black out and he barely has any lights on his moped, <laughs> just get up behind him and protect him. I saw this happen a few weeks back, and I was really impressed with this one driver. It was kind of crowded. It was right near, almost dark, and he was, it was a double lane, one way, you know, the deal, and he, he needed to get, the guy in the moped needed to get over. You can see I have driving issues, okay? Uh, anyway, he, he, this guy, it's like he just tracked him. He tracked him over to the left lane. He tracked him over to the off the, the deal acceleration lane and into the center median strip. And I'm telling you, if he wouldn't have, that guy would not have be alive. It was just because people were people were anxious, impatient, and God bless this man who just did that. And see, that's sort of what God does with us. He knows we don't get it. He knows we're slow and we're. We got issues. <laughs> and yet he just, he's right there. Just so gentle and so kind. He's there. He, and then he's safe. And, and the man went on his way. And it was just like, wow. I need that kind of heart, Lord. With joy. You see, the joy comes in is because I'm, I'm being obedient. I'm really walking in it. Now, Giving thanks is the important part is verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints. Now he's going to get into this list through verse 18 of what God has done for us. You know, well, I don't really know what to pray about. I tell you what, you just can go to this particular Paul, Paul, uh, prayer of Paul and it'll help you right out. I have no problem just thinking about what Jesus has done for us. And when you start realizing what God has done for us in the person of Christ, it's impossible not to give thanks. Because at, at the end of our prayers, and I really think we have a very big problem in our culture with thanksgiving. There's not, as a parent, you are really blessed when you don't have to tell your children anymore to say thank you. But when they're little and they're learning, what do you say now? <laughs> What do you say now? <laughs> thank you, thank you. Or they want something, you know, and it's it's please, and then after receiving it, 
thank you. You know, you got to go through that whole thing. Well, I think we have to learn it spiritually, too. Do we thank God enough? I remember when I first got saved, I was, you know, was really irritated by it, to be honest with you. I was standing in the service, and we were worshiping the Lord. And this guy beside me, he was he's probably at least a decade older and definitely older in the Lord because I was just a few weeks. And he kept saying, thank you, Jesus. I'm like, I heard it the first time, bro. You know, I'm like, you know, I kind of give him the, like, what's up with that? But now I get it. I get it now. I mean, he would probably wouldn't have to say it out loud all the time, but I mean, I mean, you talking to me or God, you know, that kind of thing. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to judge him. But I mean, I get it. Giving thanks is... Well, let's put it the other way. When you do something for someone and they don't recognize it and they, aren't, they don't have a grateful attitude or, uh, or, or thankful, how does it make you feel? Well, I don't know. How, I tell you how it makes me feel. It's like, I, man, I don't know if I really want to do that again for you. <laughs> but then, of course, when you read the scriptures about the nature and character of God and Jesus says that God is kind to the ungodly. You know, when I first read that, I'm thinking, why? They don't deserve it. That's the point. Nobody does. And so if we're going to become like God and think like God, then we will act like God. And that means when people are selfish and self-centered, which most of humanity is, we learn to just respond in the way Christ did. And that takes grace. Boy, how we need to be strengthened with all might according to his grace. But let's look quickly look look through this list because we need to pray <laughs> tonight. Think about your inheritance. You can go on, you know, I'd like you to spend some time thinking about this. Your inheritance. The inheritance, first of all, you. And I know you're just going to wonder why, because I wonder why. At least I do. I'm sure you will, too. We, the church, are the inheritance of Christ. I don't know what it is about human beings, but God's really attached to them. <laughs> he really likes humans. And he, think, he thought they were worth saving. He's got something really special in mind in eternity for human beings. We're going to be glorified with him and rule with him. That's part of our inheritance. But we are his inheritance. So think on that one for a little bit. But the thing I like about that is he's qualified us. You don't have to earn it. You couldn't purchase it in any way. It's not for sale. It's a gift. And God is the one who's qualified us. You're qualified. Well, I don't feel it. Well, of course you shouldn't. All you did is believe, and therefore you're qualified. Your faith qualifies you. God qualifies you through your faith to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Yeah, we can give thanks for that. Look what else he's done. Verse 13, delivered us from the power of darkness. We're going to pray tonight. I don't think we've ever been in a darker time, and I'm not trying to be dramatic here. I believe this. I don't think we've ever been at a darker time in our nation in regards to the 
our leadership of our nation. We are so divided. We have some really, and I mean it's no longer left and right, folks. It is between good and evil. I'm not trying to be political here. I'm just observant. And I think we need to pray for, number one, for the protection, I mean the physical protection of our president. This latest knuckleheadedry of wanting to <laughs> impeach him for doing his job is just the most ludicrous thing I've heard of yet. And it's not going to work. It's, it's going to fail like everything else they've tried to pull failed. And so I believe this. They do not want him to be reelected. And they will, there is, if, I could, if we knew the evil that was going on in this world, none of us in this room would be able to sleep at night. And so I'm not going to go into that list, but I'm aware of some things from the sources that I follow and know. And I'm telling you, we need to pray. Because if they would succeed in taking him out, then the good that has been wrought the last couple of years and what is going to happen if he is reelected and continues to make the changes that need to be made in our republic, those things will not happen. We've got a fighter. For the first time in my lifetime, we've got someone that's actually standing up for the Constitution and doing it the right way. And he is fearless. He's absolutely fearless. And he's brilliant. He does his thing the way he does his thing. And a lot of it's provocative to control the narrative. He knows what he's doing. And so we need to pray for him. I don't agree with a lot of that, but that's not because I don't have the knowledge or the guts <laughs> that he does. But we need to pray for him. We were once part of that kingdom. These people who are trying to pull this stuff are still in that kingdom. And they have allowed themselves through bribery and other ways to become so blinded and so power hungry that they're in the grips of darkness. But you and I can thank God because except for the grace of God, we would still be there. So we can't judge them in that regard. They're just taken captive by the Satan to do his bidding. And they're yielding to it, unfortunately. But we have been conveyed, literally transferred. You know, in the old times when a nation would overtake another nation. They would take their native people and supplant them in that land and then take the people that they've conquered and move them out into their land. They were transferred. They were conveyed into another kingdom. And that's essentially what the word Paul's using here. You and I have been transferred, aren't you, wonderfully gloriously satisfied with being in the kingdom of light so, into the same kingdom with Jesus the son of his love we've 
received redemption through his blood. Our sins are forgiven. And look at who, Je and again, the identification of Jesus here. He is the image of the first of God, the invisible God. Firstborn doesn't mean first one born, it means preeminence. It's the same word that's used in the Septuagint for Isaac. Was Isaac the first one born? No. Esau, or not, uh, Ishmael was the first one born in, from Abraham, right? But God calls Isaac my firstborn. What do you mean? He's the preeminent one. It's him. The same is true of Christ. He's the preeminent one. He's the head of the church here. For by him all things were created. Again, the nature and character of Christ. He's the creator. Things in heaven, things on earth, visible, invisible, thrones. Paul's got this whole invisible realm, the unseen realm. He's got this thing mapped in his head. He cannot think. When he thinks about God, he thinks about the unseen realm. When you think about God, do you think about the unseen realm? You should. You should be aware that it's just not what you see with your eyes and feel with your senses that exists. There is an unseen realm around us full of demonic forces that are not for us, malevolent. They would have us all dead. And this is what Paul's talking about here. These thrones, dominions, principalities, and powers. They will be God's instruments of wrath come tribulation period, revelation. God's going to unleash the giants, so to speak, the watchers, and all the other demonic forces to bring judgment upon this God-rejecting world. They will be his workers to bring his wrath. But they're all under the power of Christ. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things consist, which simply means God is holding it all together. When you think about the atomic structure, and that by nature, the natural thing for an atom to do is a poof, is to explode. So when, it, at, when we split an atom, it's just doing what it naturally should do. We don't understand. Science hasn't figured this one out, and they won't. How in the world does that stay together? The atomic glue, right? What holds the atom together? We don't really know. Well, you and I know. God holds it together. So when the Bible says the, in Peter that the elements will melt with a fervent heat, what does that mean? Well, essentially is when the time is right and God is finished with this present age and the way it is and the way it operates and this economy and all, he's just going to go, okay, and let go. It'll self-destruct. But by him, all things are held together. All things consist. That's a powerful little verse. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in him all things he might have the preeminence. That's what being firstborn is all about. I want Jesus to be preeminent in my heart, my, my life, to be the one I love the most, that no matter who does what to me, 
is secondary. If things don't work out to my prefer, to the way I prefer it, it doesn't matter. I still love God. I still love God. God is my first and foremost interest in my life, and then my wife. Sorry, kids, you're right after her. <laughs> but I also love his people. I love the church. I love good men. See, God puts those things in your heart because God is love, and when you're filled with it, it just, it just happens. It's not natural. It's supernatural because we're allowing God to, to transform us. It's a wonderful thing that God has given to us in the person of Christ, shall we pray. Father, thank you for your word. Such a powerful little portion of scripture. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for us. And what you've done for us is because of who you are. You are the creator God manifest in flesh so that we could know you, so we could be redeemed and live eternally with you. And now, Father, as we go to prayer and pray for one another, Lord, Guide us in those prayers. In Jesus' name, amen.